0: Good morning again. Let me invite you to take your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, the last chapter in Matthew's Gospel. And there we have the account of the resurrection. Um, And as we do every Easter, we have the opportunity for us to consider not only the implications, but also the historicity of the resurrection, which is so pivotal and significant for the Christian in this world. And so let's begin in verse 1. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this glorious news of the resurrection of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And may you, right now, by your Spirit, come upon me and my words, that you might fill our hearts and minds with faith, hope, and love, that we would be your faithful witnesses in this world, that testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen. If you haven't taken a seat, let me invite you to do so as we begin. You know, modern psychology suggests that it's our conscience that makes human beings unique, the ability to make meaningful choices. Of course, as Christians, we know that our uniqueness is tied more fundamentally to that um, of being made in the glorious image of our God. Uh, But making meaningful choices is still part of that glorious image that we share with, with the Lord, our God. At the same time, though, that Um, that responsibility carries with it a terrible burden, right? How how do we know what to do, where to live, whom to marry? And these are just a few of the choices that we have to face. We also have to deal with the um, fact that sometimes our choices are not rewarded or even thwarted. Many times we don't realize our hopes or realize the dreams to which we have given ourselves, and so opportunities are missed. What happens then? What happens is loss. The losses, in fact, start to pile up. It's not for nothing that a feeling of unease or lostness is common to the human experience. This is why Albert Camus, the French philosopher, there's a terrible emptiness in me an indifference that hurts. It can be hard to admit, but most of us, if we were honest, would admit that there is a deep emptiness, a deep unease, a sense that things are not the way they're supposed to be. It can take many different forms. Um, For example, some of us are lonely In fact, we're so lonely that we're not sure that we have any meaningful friendships that we don't matter to anyone else. In a season like this COVID-19 pandemic, the sense of social isolation has only deepened those feelings of loneliness. Others of us struggle with a sense of purpose. Do we matter? Do our lives actually matter? Have we understood who we are and what is our role in this life? Still others of us are quite busy with activity. In fact, we're so busy with activity, we spend all of our time on others, on family, on friends, on those at work, and yet all the while we never feel better. It's strange, isn't it? The more that we do for others, the more that we ache inside. Still others of us feel the wound and brokenness associated with the past, that maybe it was a past moral failure or a relationship that broke up, or maybe it's the case that we haven't lived up to the expectation of a parent, or maybe a other significant person in our life, whatever it is, the events of the past hold us in a vice grip of disappointment freezing us so that we're not able to move forward. There are lots of things that we feel, but they all collect, right? They all gather into this great cavernous internal void that is at the center of our being. Call it emptiness, call it unwe, call it the hole in your heart. I don't know what you call it, but whatever it is, we've all got it, right? That emptiness. That emptiness is common to the human experience it. What is more, that emptiness that we feel only gathers more emptiness to itself, right? With that empty feeling, what do we do? We give ourselves to things that only make the emptiness worse. Maybe it's food and drink, irresponsibly received, or sex and pornography, technology, all of these things we we turn to in the hopes that they will somehow settle the deep ache within, but but they don't make the pain worse go away. Right now in this season of social distancing and sheltering in place, I can tell you that this is one of my deep concerns because, well, the the anxiety has gone up, but the accountability has gone down. It's less likely that we're going to give ourselves to constructive engagements. It's more likely that we're going to give ourselves over to those Um, those temptations and those inward impulses. But what happens when we do? What happens when we give ourselves over to those temptations? Well, it's what always happens. Whatever it is that we turn, it doesn't fill the bottomless pit that aches within our hearts. This is why St. Augustine he so insightfully spoke of this this um, this cycle of the human heart. Wherever the soul of man may turn, unless it turns to you, it clasps sorrow to itself. Why do you still travel by the hard and arduous path? It's a great question, indeed. Why do we why do we do this? Why do we always travel the road that only leads us to more emptiness? Which brings us to Matthew chapter twenty eight. Here at the conclusion of. Matthew's gospel, it appears that the human narrative of emptiness is going to receive yet one more entry. Jesus has died right on Friday. His followers were devastated. It was simply unimaginable. that They couldn't believe that the one that they thought was the Messiah was now dead, but he had died. They had seen it with their own eyes Joseph of Arimathea had placed his body in the tomb. The disciples huddled and gathered without hope, wondering what was going to happen next, and now it was the first day of the week, Sunday. Matthew tells us that that a few of the women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, they were headed off to the tomb early in the morning before the dawn. And what happens next? was even more unimaginable, right, than Jesus being crucified, because when they get to the tomb, an angel of the Lord has gathered there, the stone had been rolled away, and he declares to, to the women, do not be afraid, for you've come seeking Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Come and see the place where he lay. In other words, the tomb is empty, Jesus the Christ has been resurrected from the dead and in light of our previous discussion that's not a little bit ironic right because the christian dec- declares that the christian story declares that with an empty tomb the christian has found our hope the Easter story is that by this empty tomb, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has come, and in that resurrected Christ, new life has come that ushers us and the entire world into a new era of hope. Though nothing in this world can fill the emptiness at the center of the human heart, the empty tomb right, speaks hope to us and to the entire world and has brought a fullness, a harmony, a shalom that truly and deeply satisfies. In our time this morning, I want us to talk a little bit about the implications of the resurrection. We do this every, uh, every year at Easter. It's so important. Particularly, let's just begin by thinking about the fact of the empty tomb. Uh, again, if the resurrection did not occur, then the tomb's emptiness ultimately would not have mattered. Apostle Paul put it well when he said that if Jesus Christ has not been raised up from the dead, then our faith is futile, and we are still in our sins. And so settling the historicity of the resurrection is a matter of supreme importance about one thing, though everyone is agreed, including Matthew, the tomb was empty. The women saw it, but so did the religious leaders in that day. Everyone agreed on that point. And the empty tomb, at least for the religious leaders, it was not just a technical glitch, right? It was a crisis of epic proportion. And and if they wanted to silence the claims of the resurrection, what would they have done? What should they have done? They should have presented the body, but they didn't have the body, and so the best that they could do was to spread a lie that the disciples had stolen the body. Similar today, academic skeptics disbelieve in the resurrection, too. That Things like this just don't happen. Miracles, we know, just don't happen. Miracles, it is said, are always the explanation of those who wish things had turned out differently, and so they invent stories to make those things true. Interestingly, though, the skeptic is born of a different kind of faith, After all, how can we actually prove that miracles don't happen? Of course we can. And so the skeptical um, person, the, the one who is skeptical about the resurrection, has already believed in something else. In this case, it's philosophical materialism. And so what I want you to see is even, well, skepticism requires a kind of religious commitment. And so both of those, I hope, make Uh, us want to consider the biblical account of the miraculous resurrection all the more. We ought to give this a fair hearing, and when we do, three things always stand out. The first one is that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrected Lord Jesus. We see here the women are witnesses of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. The Peter and the rest of the disciples were also eyewitnesses of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, The Apostle Paul tells us that more than 500 at one point saw the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, but but let's just think about the women. Here were the first witnesses to the resurrection. All of the Gospels tell us that the women were the first witnesses to the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and and yet their testimony, if such things were to be adjudicated in a court of law, would not have been admissible. But all of the accounts testify to to them being the first that that is the way the gospel tells the story means that it must have happened that that way. And surely if there were 500 witnesses at one point seeing the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, many of whom would would have been alive during the time when the apostles were proclaiming the gospel's story, surely if there was a lie they could have easily debunked the story. And then secondly, think about this. If the resurrection were a fabrication, then why didn't the officials produce a body? It would have been so easy. All they would have had to do to prove or disprove the resurrection is present the body. If Jesus was was dead, then then there he is. But of course you say, well, they robbed the body. That's what happened. The disciples robbed the body to perpetuate this hoax. But we need to ask this question, then why all the trouble? right the gospel accounts are not testifying to disciples who were preparing for resurrection no that they were devastated with the outcome of Jesus death right that they didn't know what to do it overwhelmed them joseph of arimathea preparing jesus body laying him in the tomb the disciples all huddled up isolated and lost without the story of christ continuing the women going to the tomb, as was their custom to mourn and grieve the loss of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whatever you want to say about the disciples and this purported religious hoax, they were not preparing for resurrection. An empty tomb was the last thing that they were considering. So then when you take these two together, the empty tomb and the testimony of these eyewitnesses, it makes the case all the more compelling. After all, one without the other could have been easily dismissed. If the tomb was empty, yet Jesus had never been seen, no one would have thought that resurrection was the answer. Even today, we have people who go missing, and eventually we conclude that their life has been lost, not that they've been resurrected in the same way resurrection wouldn't have been the uh, the the explanation if there had been witnesses but the body had remained in the tomb that we would have chalked it up to a um an imagination that that had gotten the better of these disciples but not resurrection but the fact that there was an empty tomb and so many eyewitnesses compellingly makes the case that the resurrection in fact is true now, now i know friends <laughs> I go over these same details every Easter, and they're important, right? Because it's an important reminder of how credible is our conviction that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The fact that he did is essential. It's an essential component to our Christian faith. But I also go over these details because I always imagine that during Easter Sunday, there are many watching in this case, who probably are skeptical of the Easter story. And I want to say something to you that may draw you further in to give the Christian account greater attention. I promise you that you won't be disappointed. Now, at the same time, the resurrection is not just about an historical consideration. That's not the only thing that matters. It's not just about what happened, but what it all means what's fundamentally important to us about the resurrection well it's the new life that flows forth that came out of the empty tomb in jesus christ the appetite of death was not quenched right but in fact he 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 he, he prevented that satisfaction, the powerful curse of death, the unremitting hunger of darkness that courses through this world has been turned back with the resurrection, death, and all its associated curses, and all of its associated powers have been defeated. The empty tomb signals what? A glorious victory of life and hope and human flourishing. Historically, Christians have always recognized the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ as a kind of beacon, but also a foretaste. As a beacon, the resurrection shines forth the light, the hope of the gospel for the Christian. It means that all of these things that God has promised to us are now true. Our sins, what? Are forgiven. That we're no longer in our sins because Christ has been resurrected. The power of sin has been broken, that we're no longer bound to the powers of the old man and the old ways. We've now been given free and open access to God, our Heavenly Father, right? Because we've been reconciled through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and now adopted as His sons and daughters. It's because of the resurrection that we also are reminded that righteousness and godliness actually do matter, that, that, in fact, this world matters. What we do matters. A life of love and obedience actually matter. It's worth it, friends, to love your neighbor. The resurrection is a beacon that, that guides us th- through this world. Now, we all recognize that that's what beacons do, right? They are assigned weary travelers that steer them to safety. In the mid-19th century, during the 1800s, six such lighthouses were built along the Texas coast to steer um, ships um, around the sandbars and the dangerous shoals at the mouths of the various rivers that were entering into the Gulf of Mexico, and, and those lighthouses there were to steer those ships as they navigated those treacherous waters, but they also um, were a reminder that a traveler was never really um, at home until they had arrived at their port of entry. You see, that beacon was not just about navigating the treacherous waters, it was about arriving at their final destination. And friends, in the same way, that's the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is that beacon, right, of, of the journey in which we are on now, guiding us through the treacherous waters of this life, but also reminding us, that we will finally and one day arrive at our port of entry, at the glorious new heavens and the new earth. And that's why the resurrection is not just a beacon, but it's also a foretaste, right? right? Jesus is the foretaste of what is to come. As the resurrected one, his body has been translated. His body has been transformed into that everlasting and eternal body that Paul tells us we will one day have. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of what is to come for all of God's people. That means that as Jesus now is, we will one day become. How glorious is that, that one day as believers and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will one day receive our eternal bodily dwelling place. And our assurance of that fact is born out of the assurance that Jesus Christ has already entered into that new and glorious future. He has already arrived at that destination. And He promises that He will one day bring us to that place. He is the foretaste. He is the first fruits of what is yet to come. The new resurrection heralds the new life that came forth with him out of the tomb. But it also heralds a responsibility that we have in this world. In both verses 7 and 10, we see this final implication of Jesus' resurrection and the empty tomb. It's our mission that flows forth from the empty tomb. Notice what the angel commands the women to do to go and tell the disciples about the resurrection, and that Jesus will meet them in Galilee. And then we see Jesus doing the same thing. In verse 10, He encounters the women, and there He tells them to go tell the disciples that He's been raised up from the grave, and that He will meet the disciples in Galilee. That This missional responsibility reminds us that the resurrection is not just for us. It's not just a Private, personalized story. It's not just our resurrection story. It's the resurrection story for the entire world. So we have to tell our friends, right? We, we have to tell our friends and family and coworkers and neighbors about what happened to Jesus and why that matters to all of the world. So let me just ask you a question Can you imagine having the answer, right? The answer to what is broken in this world? Can you imagine having the answer to what is wrong with this world and simply not telling anybody? What if you knew the answer to the COVID-19 pandemic? You actually had deciphered the vaccine. You had the viable treatment plan. And yet, rather than tell the world that it might be healed, you chose to tell no one. Friends, that's what happens. When we don't tell the people around us about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what happens every time we are silent about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. How can we not tell others about the hope of the resurrection? Friends, if Jesus Christ was raised up, if he came out of the tomb, if the tomb is empty, then how can the hope and light and life that came forth with him out of the tomb, how can that not come forth from our lips? How can we not tell others? But but you say, well, we're sheltering in place, right? We we have to stay home. But isn't it interesting here in this season of the COVID-19 pandemic, though we aren't Um, leaning into our regular routines, and we're not able to be um, with the people that we normally surround ourselves with. We are actually around those people that we don't know so well, our neighbors. We, We see them walking the streets, out in their front yards, and we have an unprecedented opportunity to get to know the people who live closest to us. What are you doing about it? But what a great opportunity to tell others about the resurrection's hope. What a great opportunity for you to invite your neighbor. Hey, check out Redeemer Presbyterian Church online. Come to church with me and let's talk about it. Friends, you have an unprecedented opportunity to live out the missional responsibility that the resurrection brings to our lives. Mission, new life, and the historicity of the empty tomb, all speaking to our calling that flows forth from the resurrection. But we're living in the interruption, right, of the COVID-19 pandemic. It's meant many different things to all of us. But one thing about which I think we can all agree, and that is that this pandemic, this season, has um, called us to ask some fundamental questions, right, about our lives, about the world uh, around us, what really matters, what are we doing here. Is there hope? And I wonder how you're faring. I mean, think about it. All of the interruption of the normal routines of our life, all of the ways in which we try to distract ourselves, those things being taken away, what's filling the emptiness? I want to suggest to you that without the resurrection, the story of this world, the story of our lives is pretty bleak, right? I mean, without Jesus Christ, then this world is actually pretty terrible, Woody Allen, the, the, the director, he, he once said, life is divided into the miserable and the horrible. That's why I like what, what Tim Keller says, that he always likes to share with his unbelieving friends at Easter, even if you can't believe in the resurrection, you should want it to be true. Friends, that, that, that's because emptiness and lostness That deep unease. Such things don't have to be the logical outcome of this world or your life. Friends, the resurrection is true. And because the resurrection is true, that means that this world has been put to rights. God is sorting out the story of this world. It's not a pie in the sky fantasy, it's a reality that's already begun. It means. Friends, that we can have freedom from our sin. That our sin doesn't get the last word. That in fact, we, we, the power of sin has been broken and now we can live differently. We can live hopefully. We can live in serving our neighbor and seeking purpose in this world. And such purposes really matter. Morality, righteousness, godliness, all of these things actually matter because our God is remaking the world. And so, friends, when we say Christ is risen, He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. We're not just testifying to a miracle. In fact, we're not even just testifying to the most important miracle, but rather we're bearing witness to the new beginning, right? The new beginning of a world that by faith has already begun, one that we have already entered. And will one day permeate every corner of the cosmos. Because friends, Christ is risen. The tomb is empty. And the world is being remade. Hallelujah. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story of salvation. That reaches its glorious apex. In the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Who died. Who was resurrected and who will one day come again. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would help us to not only believe in the truth of the resurrection, but to live into its hope and to bear witness to that story of hope to the world around us, that you, O oh God, might one day put all things to rights. Oh, come now and be with us, we pray. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we ask it. Amen.